As you can tell, we are in Ephesians, and we come to chapter 5. Of course, chapter divisions are not inspired of God. And you'll notice that chapter 5 starts with a therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? Well, listen to the previous message if you want to know what it's there for, chapter 4. And we've been seeing in Ephesians that it's all about oneness. In fact, the word one uh, in, in, is, is used quite a bit. Uh, we've already seen that. but So it's about unity in the church. God desires for his church to be unified. By the way, unity is not the same thing as unanimity. Unanimity is where everybody looks the same, talks the same, and supposedly acts the same. If you want to know what that looks like, go to the South Island on the West Coast. Right? That's they're trying to be that's trying to be unanimity, but they're not unified. Okay? So God wants us to be unified, and it's unified around doctrinal truth, in particular in those first three chapters. So how does this particular passage then match the theme that we've been looking at of this oneness unity? And the best way that I can explain this is to have what God's telling us, basically, to have unity in the church, the universal church, as well as our local church, is to imitate our Heavenly Father. God wants you to imitate Him. And I have permission from my son, Daniel, to talk about him. I don't normally talk about my children. I don't like doing that. But the best illustration, since we're talking about imitating fathers, is this beautiful picture on the screen of cute. I love this photo. wish I could have showed you the video. Here's Daniel. He's, he's about two years old here. He's sitting on the couch with the earmuffs over his ears, the same ones that I had just recently used, with my Bible open. And in the video, when he was asked, Daniel, what are you doing? And his cute little two-year-old voice, he says, I'm reading the Bible. What is he doing? He's imitating his father because he saw me doing that. Why was I doing that? Because most people don't do that. Well, that's because we were in a tiny house um, in that particular stage of our life. Crammed, it was four of us at that time, crammed in this little tiny house. And the only way I could get any space to myself and headspace to myself was was putting the earmuffs on to block out all the noise because there was just no I had to leave the house to go read so to read the Bible that's that's what I often did or read anything else and I just thought that was so cute that's that's awesome it's scary at the same time when children imitate their fathers if you're the father and your children are imitating you it's it's usually the bad stuff that oh anyway that's that's scary Fortunately, that was a good thing, but it's not always the case, and poor Daniel um, gets stuck with a sinful father, just like you have. But I, I love that. That's what children do. They tend to imitate their fathers. So it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Uh, for earthly fathers, that can often be a bad thing, but Fortunately for our heavenly Father, that is always a good thing. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this here in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. Because it starts off with this command coming out of all of the stuff that we've been looking at in chapter 4. So the command is, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, notice the contrast, but. In other words, this is not imitating God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. We'll stop there for the moment. We'll get into the rest next week. So, here's the proposition from those seven verses, that God wants you to imitate Him. God wants you to imitate Him. That's the first command. There's a lot of commands mentioned in this passage, but that's the first one mentioned there. So, I'm going to give you three ways you can imitate God today. Three ways to imitate God coming from this text. Number one is, God, the Father, that is, wants you to pursue uniqueness. Uniqueness. The word is uniqueness. Right? So when you see the word holy in your Bible, and God says, be holy as he is holy, part of the idea of holiness is you're to be unique, because God is unique. There is nobody else like him. And so he... He's calling you to be like Him, to imitate Him, and part of that is to be unique. And So the, how do we do that? Well, notice the text says, live like children of God. Live like children of God. Now, the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians here to be imitators of God. And now that, that, that's a command, and it's a continuous command in the Greek language. The command there is flowing from the preceding verses in chapter 4 and where, where the Ephesians are reminded there to forgive just as God forgave them. And then he also reminds them of the status that they have as a consequence of God's forgiveness. You say, what's the status? Well, verse 1 says to imitate God how? How do you imitate God? As beloved children. As beloved children. What an awesome status! Meditate on that, by the way. I encourage you, just meditate upon that glorious truth. What an awesome status. I am a beloved child of God. That is life transforming. Now, what is the motive for our obedience? We obey because... No, notice what I just said. We obey God because we are already loved. We're not loved because we obey. Do you see the difference? Wow, there, there, there are so many people who they, they think it's that, that God's going to smile on them and bless them and love them based upon what they do or don't do. God's saying, you are a beloved child. You are loved, not based on your obedience. But you should obey because you are loved, because you are a child of God. So the love of our Father here precedes, comes first. It stimulates the obedience of a child of God. We're to live as dearly loved children imitating the one who already is our Father. Now, I'm talking to Christians, by the way. If you are not a Christian, if, if your faith is in Jesus plus something else, you're not a Christian. If your faith is in not in Jesus, then you're not a Christian, and I'm not talking to you, because you're not a child of God. Jesus says you're a child of the devil. <laughs> you're in a different family. This doesn't apply to you. You're not a beloved child of God. You need to become one. Now, please understand, we don't perform to bribe God to become our Father. You can't do anything to bribe Him to become your Father. If you're a Christian, He already is your Father. That's your status, and what an awesome status that is. It's life-transforming. So, it's unique. So pursue this uniqueness. Live like what your status is. You're a child of God. But it goes on in verse 2, also tells us here to live like Christ. 
live like Christ. Because notice what verse 2 says. And, so it's continuing this thought process here. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what's held before us here? Well, held before us is the example of Jesus Christ. I mean, how do you imitate somebody whom you've never seen? Well, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He also said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he said when he was here on earth. The Bible tells us that. So do you know what this means? Imitating God means imitating the Son, Jesus Christ. And and that means doing whatever is required to make our lives this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So God doesn't expect you to do what Old Testament Israelites did, right? He doesn't expect you to come and cut the throat of a lamb and, and burn it on an altar. Praise God, you don't have to do that today. Your, your offerings and your sacrifices is this right here. God expects you to live like His Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> By the way, that doesn't make it easier. It's probably easier to cut the throat of a lamb than to do this. But it certainly is more pleasant, isn't it? And the imagery that the Apostle Paul is bringing to mind there is, is of course, that Old Testament sacrifice and that whole system that God had set up. Where people would bring the offering to God and they would sacrifice that upon the altar. Why did they do that? Well, God told them to do that, first of all. But, but it, it, So its fiery consumption then would cause the odor of a sweet sacrifice to God. That's what God called that. And that's why it's mentioning those words there. But the imagery also reminds us that the fragrance from the altar does not come without some giving of self. There has to be an offering. Well, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says your offering is yourself. You are to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. But there also has to be a dying of something here. There has to be a dying of something. There needs to be a sacrifice. Uh, There is no life of love without a degree of of our giving of ourselves and a dying of ourself. Jesus said you're to to deny yourself. Paul talks about dying daily in in the Scripture. There's going to be some pain involved in that. Denying yourself and dying daily is painful. (laughs) And if there is no pain, there would be no sacrifice to God. So what enables us to bear this pain is our identity as children of God. That's where it starts there. Because you are a child of God, then you will be able to carry on and do your duty that's mentioned here. By the way, let me just state, because the first command there is to imitate God. That is a command. It is a continuous command. You're to keep doing this all through your life. And there's many ways you need to understand. Before we look at some ways you can imitate God, let me just mention some ways you can't. You Theologians call this the incommunicable attributes of God. In other words, you can't communicate them. You you can't do these, right? So theologians call them the incommunicable attributes of God. You cannot be omnipresent. That is impossible. (laughs) Right? Because you're located in your shell, in your physical shell, and the only way you can come out of your physical shell is to die. Or be raptured. So God's the only one who is all present. God's the only one who is omni, uh, omniscient. Sorry, all knowing. You can't know everything. If you did, you'd be God. He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who is all powerful. He he can do everything that he wants to do. By the way, don't carry that too far because. You can get really silly. God doesn't do everything. You you understand? He does everything within his nature, that his nature, that he he self-contains himself. All right? Does that make sense? But we also see 
we're not eternal. We are going to live forever. Your soul lives forever, and you will eventually have a body that lives forever. But you had a starting point, right? You have a birthday. Everybody has a birthday except God. God never celebrates a birthday. He's always been. I know, that's mind-boggling. That's one of the things that makes him unique. So it goes in the incommunicable attribute category. The other thing unique about God is he is unchangeable. You can't meet that category. That attribute will never be you. (laughs) You're like this. Right? The, The littlest things affect us. Right? Anchovies on pizza will make you go up and down, depending on whether or not you like anchovies on your pizza. The weather makes you change. What people do to you makes you change. The size of your bank account will make you change. Right? There's so many things that make us change because we are changeable. But God is not affected by anything. He's totally independent. But there are ways you can imitate God. And theologians call those the communicable attributes. In other words, they're the the things that God shares and communicates with us. Let me just fly through some of them, okay? You can be faithful. And, and won't it be nice, I hope you're, you want to get to heaven one day and hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You can be good. Yeah, I know Jesus said He's the only one who's good, but don't, not in that sense, okay? But you can do good things because you're made in God's image. You can love. You can love. And and love is one of those the supreme things mentioned in the Bible. Uh, It it should be the supreme motive for everything you do, you say, you think. You can be merciful. God is all of those things and more. You can choose to not give to people what they deserve, right? (laughs) Some people deserve knuckle sandwiches, right? A lot of people deserve knuckle sandwiches. And when you withhold the knuckle sandwich coming on the cheek or on the snoz, you are being merciful, just like God. Gracious. See, when, when you give to people what they don't deserve, <laughs> well, you're being like God. If you're patient, if you're patient, long-suffering, then you're being like God. If, if you're holy, and by holy we don't mean sinless, because you can't do that in this life, but, but when you are distinct, you're unique, unique and separate, then you're being holy. You can do that. You're commanded to do that, as God is holy. You can be at peace, even when the world around us is falling apart. In the world, we live in a world of uncertainty at the moment, and uh, hopefully I'm at peace. And your whole life can fall apart, and you can still be at peace. Righteous. God's righteous. You can be righteous. You can can do what's right. You can be just, as God is just. (laughs) God's always just, but there's moments in your life where you can be that. You can be jealous and not sin. By the way, the Bible in the Old Testament says that God is jealous, and He never sins. What is God doing? God is protecting His name and His honor. And that is the right thing for God to do. It would be wrong for God to not protect His name and honor. And God does that sometimes. (laughs) Not all the time. As you know, God's name is often drugged through the mud. His name's taken in vain. And people don't get what they deserve. But it's the right thing for God to do it. It's the right thing for you to be jealous uh, not not so much for yourself because you're you're not like God and, and and you are sinful. But if you are protecting the honor, say for example, men, if you're protecting the honor of your wife, you're being jealous, and that's a good thing. Uh, you can also have wrath and not sin. We we just saw that in chapter four, right? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't sin not. <laughs> 
you, you can hate what God hates. There are certain things that God hates. And that's appropriate. The, those are all some various ways that you can imitate God, and, and the list could go on and on. So all those various attributes you see of God. Study God. Particularly, uh, one of my favorite books to do that is, is the book of Psalms. Study the book of Psalms. Find out all the attributes of God. Those are the things you should be imitating. So, what have we seen so far? God wants you to imitate Him. First way we see that is to pursue uniqueness. Number two, God wants you to pursue integrity. Integrity. By the way, the word integrity is this concept of wholeness. There's nothing incomplete in this. And so it includes the things that are mentioned here in verses 3 and 4. And then it's, it's a really broad, big word. It encompasses a lot of things. But certainly the things mentioned in verses 3 and 4. So how do you pursue integrity? Well, it's, it's this whole concept of putting off and putting on. There's a negative and a positive. All right, so let's start with the negative, the put-off part. And so you pursue integrity, number one, by starving impurity. You must starve impurity in your life. Look what the Bible says there in verse 3. How do you starve impurity? God says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So we can experience purity here by denying ourselves impurity. Right? How does a think of it this way? How does a clean clean glass of water stay pure? By keeping impurities out. By having a filter to keep the impurities out. So once once an impurity comes in, then the glass of water is no longer pure. So God's urging us here to go on a diet. And, and no, not, not, that, not that kind of diet. God's talking about a starvation diet. God wants you to go on a starvation diet. And this one's healthy. It's a very healthy thing to do. See, that, that's why God has commanded us here to continually deny ourselves of any immorality and covetousness. By the way, that sexual immorality comes from the very interesting Greek word. Listen to the Greek word, porneia. Porneia. Sounds familiar? Of course, from that Greek word, we get the English word pornography. And so this, this word here, though, covers all sexual sins, including pornography, <laughs> but it goes way beyond that. It includes adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and more. So you have to starve those things. You don't, you don't feed those things. And isn't it interesting that covetousness comes up in this list? That's one of those, uh, as Jerry Bridges calls, one of the respectable sins. <laughs> right? What is it? Well, covetousness is a jealous longing for what others possess. So it's it's like me, uh, whenever I peer over the fence and look at my neighbor's fishing boat, and I'm I'm wishing that was in my section and belonged to me, and I grumble and complain why I don't have one, what am I doing? I have, I'm, I'm coveting. God says that amounts to idolatry. Oh, really? Oh, well, what do we covet? Hmm. <laughs> We're all guilty of covetousness. <laughs> right? let, let me remind you the three deep idols of your heart. The three deep idols of your heart. You, you, you're probably guilty of all three of them, but you're, there's certainly one of these. You get, you, you, it's probably your strong point, or should I say your weak point. Right? So watch out for significance, the deep idol of significance. Watch out for the deep idol of control. And watch out for the deep idol of comfort. You all fit in one of those three, probably all three, at some point in your life. So significance, control, comfort. These are things that we strongly desire to, to points in our lives. They actually become idols. 
and we become idolaters in the process. You say, well, what's the opposite? I'm supposed to put off covetousness. Something has to come in its place. You can't just leave it in a vacuum. And the opposite of coveting is contentment. Contentment. Contentment is when I peer over the fence and look at my neighbor's boat, and instead of grumbling and complaining why that boat's not sitting in my section, I look at the boat and say, praise God, my neighbor can have that boat and go fishing. And it just... It's just like water off a duck's back. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm content. I, I love what God's given to me. I don't, I don't need anything other than God because God is more than enough for me. That's contentment. So I ask you, my friends, are you content with what God has given you? And so these sins here, by the way, are so serious, they're not to be mentioned God says they're not to be mentioned, they're not to be discussed in our everyday speech. That doesn't mean it's a sin to, you know, if it comes up in the news or whatever, a lot of these bad things do, right? But, but God says they're not to be named among you. What does that mean? Well, here's a helpful statement from the ESV Study Bible. Look what this says, quote, Christians must be careful to guard their integrity and public reputation because public sins dishonor God, end quote. Public sins dishonor God. God doesn't want His name and His reputation to be dishonored. So be careful. Even, even just talking about these things in public can be dishonoring to God. Another commentator said this, quote, look at this one, we should remember that God made us as sexual beings who should long for one another within the bonds of marriage. Sex is not a sin. Okay, let me just add. He didn't say that. Let me just add. God made you a sexual being. Sex is not a sin. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. And that's why in Hebrews 13, God can say that the marriage bed is honorable, but the sexually immoral... Well, that's, that's not, right? But anyway, he, so he goes on to say, We are made to be lusty creatures. What turns down the intensity of improper lust is starving it of improper fuel. Don't feed it. Starve it. Reminds me of the, uh, the old story. Have you heard this one? The old Indian in the States was, was asked uh, about the, the two dogs that were sitting on his shoulder. He had a white dog and a black dog, right? How do, how do you and so so the you know the black dog was the evil one, the white dog was the good one, and uh, he was asked to you know they they're they're constantly talking in my ear and they're fighting each other, and so he was asked, well, which one wins? Which dog wins? And the old Indian said, the one I feed the most. It's the healthy one. The one I feed the most is the one that wins. So starve the impurity. Starve the impurity. So, the commentator mentions improper fuels. And then that just got me thinking, well, what are some improper fuels? Well, one of them is actually mentioned in verse 4. Our talk or our speech can be an improper fuel uh, to, to feed the impurity. So if you look at verse 4, it, it talks about some of these things. For example, it says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Those things are out of place. Starve them. <laughs> so filthiness is just this dirty, filthy language. You know, it happens a lot of times around the water cooler at work. We're in a lunch lounge. Foolish talk is empty, wasteful talk. Crude joking is often the, 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 quit wit, the, the quick wit that has, uh, well, for a lot of people, they think it's funny. But it often comes with double meanings, and there's a vulgarity often that comes with that. It's the kind of talk that some talk show hosts use. <laughs> you know, the late night talk show hosts, for example. Right? That's, that's the sort of stuff God says Christians should not use that kind of language. It, it it feeds the impurity. 
some other improper fuels that came to my mind or even our thoughts, our own thoughts. Guard your mind, the Bible says. Entertainment is is affecting our very thoughts. So so be careful of the entertainment that you have. Be careful of the music that you listen to. Rock music in particular feeds feeds the lust. It feeds the impurity. People watching TV, there's a lot of stuff on, there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of bad there too. So be careful of what you're feeding your mind, what you read, the magazines, and and of of course pornography has to be included in this. It's just one of these ways that people are feeding the impurity. Those are improper fuels. So if you don't want to get burnt, then don't play with the fire. <laughs> right? Uh, here, here's the way Romans puts it. Look at this, Romans 13, 14. You make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't, don't use those improper fuels. Or you're going to get burnt. So that's what you're to put off. You starve the impurity, and God always has something to put on. Notice what he says in verse 4. So after letting letting none of the filthiness and the foolish talk and the crude joking, you're putting all that off. Look what God says. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So God's saying you starve the impurity and you feed the thanksgiving. Sin has to be replaced. Sin needs a substitute. You've heard me talk about the principle of replacement, I hope. The biblical principle, the principle of replacement, whenever you have uh, a sin, you, you have to replace that particular sin with something of like kind. And by the way, why is Thanksgiving here the proper substitute for the covetousness? Because Thanksgiving is the replacement of the idol worship with the worship of God. Because God calls covetousness idolatry, you need to replace the idolatry with worship of the true God, right? That's what you're supposed to do. Sin is hard to defeat in our lives when God is not enough for us. And so that's why I, I've really been helped for many, many years now by reading John Piper's books. And one of the things you may have heard me say, which is not original with me, it's original apparently with John Piper, with, although he says he gets it from C.S. Lewis, uh, is this whole concept here in one of his books. He, he says it this way. It's actually a subtitle to his book, Battling Unbelief. He says, you defeat sin with superior pleasure. You defeat sin with superior pleasure. You don't defeat sin by keep, by keep talking about it by meditating on it. Too many people, you know, they're like, well, I'm, I'm, wow, I've got a dirty mind, so I've got to stop having a dirty mind. And they keep telling themselves, stop having your dirty mind. Stop having a dirty mind. Stop having a dirty mind. What are you doing? You're meditating on having a dirty mind. That's not going to work. You have to meditate and find something that is of superior pleasure to your dirty mind and meditate and think and believe that. You defeat sin with superior pleasure. You, you must find God to be more than enough, or you're fighting a losing battle. You will lose if you don't find God to be more than enough for whatever sin you're dealing with. And so the ESV, look at the ESV study Bible quote here again on the screen. Quotes, the way to avoid coveting others' possessions is to just tell yourself that that boat has holes in it, right? Right? Is, is that going to work? I look over my neighbor's fence and look at his amazing fishing boat and say, oh, what a piece of junk. That will never catch any fish, right? Is that going to work? Is that going to solve my idolatry? No. No, look at that. The way to avoid coveting others' possessions is to concentrate with thanks upon the good things the Lord has given. End quote. (laughs) Good advice. Because that's exactly what God's telling you to do. You feed the thanksgiving. And so there you go, my friends. You have the principle of replacement. You replace idol worship with worship of God. That's how you defeat the sin. So, 
you say, uh, so John Piper said you defeat sin with superior pleasure. So what are the superior pleasures? Well, there's many, and I encourage you to meditate upon them. Dig deep, dive deep into the Scripture, find out what they are. For me, it's, it, it's got to start with Christ, because I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 3, knowing Christ is, is of supreme value in his life above all these other things he mentions there. I'm looking forward to heaven. I can't wait. God has, has gifted me with a lot of pain in my life pain and suffering that makes me long to be with him. (laughs) I look forward to that. He's given me lots of blessings in this life too, by the way. I'm richly blessed and thankful for them. And and so there's various things in in my life that I'm so blessed with that that bring great pleasure, and I would hate to lose those things through my sin. So we can imitate God. We can imitate our Father. And so, but but it, you've got to starve the impurities. You've got to feed the thanksgiving. You've got to pursue the uniqueness. And number three, pursue safety. Pursue safety. Let me just park here for a moment because some people think God is, is this. He's this cosmic killjoy, and he wants you to have a boring and terrible life. And that's why he tells you. You know, stop the sexual immorality, stop the impurity, don't look at pornography, because that's enough, you know, you might have fun, right? If you go have sex with another woman, you know, I might have fun, right? And the world's telling us this thing, Satan tells you all this, you know, don't go do all that sin, because that's, because it's fun? No. You know, God, God hates you. That's why he tells you don't do those things. No, God loves you. That's why he tells you don't do those things. He's a good God. He's trying to protect you. So pursue safety. Yeah, we can gain strength for the Christian life by pursuing those other things like integrity and pursuing our uniqueness. But we ultimately have to face the dangers of sin. You can't avoid sin in this life. It's here. It's amongst us. In fact... It's in you. It's called indwelling sin. You have to face it. And and if you don't recognize the danger, then we're not prepared to live the holy lives that God desires. So, So the final dimension here of Paul's exhortation against the impurity is he warns you. He warns you. Here's reality. There is a reality here. It's not just all fun and games. Okay. The book of Hebrews says there is pleasure in sin, but it doesn't last. <laughs> it's, it's fleeting. It's only for a moment. And so, as he's warning us, though, he also encourages us, pursue our safety. Pursue our safety. So, we need to heed the warnings. That's the first point that the Bible's making here. Heed the warnings. There's very serious warnings here. And we... We usually feel safe when we know we have clear boundaries and we're going to be clearly warned of danger. I hope you feel that way. It's, it's kind of scary sometimes. You go places and there's, there's, there's no fences, there's no boundaries, there's no signs. You don't know where anything is. You don't know where you are. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Right? That, that's very confusing and it can be very dangerous. But God gives you clear signs. He puts up the fences. And this is precisely what the Bible does for us here. So my friend, look seriously at these warnings. The first one is in verse 5. Look what it says in verse 5. For you may be sure of this. You want to be sure of something? Do you like being sure of something? Or do you like being in a cloud in the dark and and uncertain and confused? Is that what you prefer? Well, that's not what God's saying here. Because He says you can be sure of this, in verse 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is a covetous, or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Can God be any more clear? But by the way, God is not talking about one-offs here. Okay, We are all guilty of breaking all of the Ten Commandments. 
Every single person on planet Earth has broken all Ten Commandments. We stand guilty of the whole thing. So this is not talking about somebody who's made one mistake and one sin. This is the person who is habitually this this way here. Okay, so let's just be clear. So notice, what will you gain here by pursuing your lust and your greed? What do you gain? If you're one of those people who just loves your your strong desire, that's all that lust is, and you love your greed, you love your pornography, and you, you love all that sort of stuff, what do you gain out of that? God says you're not going to gain heaven. You're not going to gain Him. You don't get Jesus. In fact, you're going to lose everything. You will lose everything. What's the truth? Well, let me show you another scripture in case you don't understand what God's saying here. Here's what God says over in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, I'm very thankful in Corinthians, God goes on to say, such were some of you. (laughs) Such were some of you. So those in the church of Corinth were all those things, and God saved them. God can save anybody. That's great news. So do Christians fall into those sins? Absolutely. Just look at the church of Corinth. They were filled with them. So yeah, yeah, Christians fall into these sins. They don't live in them habitually like 1 John talks about. That's the difference. So, so the true Christian is not going to persist in them. They're not going to endure in them. What does a true Christian do? The true Christian repents. The true Christian forsakes and confesses their sin to God. And so the difference is idolaters continually worship themselves. They love themselves but a Christian loves God. You see the difference? Big difference. Well, there's a second warning to heed here. So it's, the idolaters will not go to heaven, verse 5 says, but in verse 6, God says, the idolaters are going to receive His wrath. Look what verse 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So notice there's a command, again, a continuous command in the original language there. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. What kind of empty words could God be thinking about here? What kind of pernicious lies does the media feed you? And do the books feed you? And the internet feed you? And the the whole world system, the cosmos that we live in, what is it feeding you? Let me just give you a few that's come to my mind. Here's one. Think about this. You ever heard this? Oh, you, you will gain by pursuing your lust and your greed. Wow, well, that, that just sounds like the top tier we just saw in Truth Project. You remember that, that worldly philosopher by the name of Abraham Maslow? Right? The top tier, self-actualization. What does Disney teach you? Follow your heart. It's not just Disney. Disney got it from Abraham Maslow, which came from people before him, which goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the hiss of the snake. Just follow your heart, Adam and Eve. Follow your heart. You can be like God. Right? Here's another one. Go ahead and sin. Nothing's going to happen to you. Really? So I'm all alone in my office, and I click on the pornography. Nothing's going to happen to me. Really? Oh, the hiss of the snakes in my ear. And here's another one. God's too kind to condemn me to hell. Yeah, God is kind. But that's not the only thing God is. God is not just kind and loving. He's also just and holy. And number four is, God's sympathetic with our frail human nature, right? Doesn't the Bible say He understands? God understands you're just dust. He made you out of the dust and he understands the way you are. 
Yes, the Bible does say that. Here's the last one. God overlooks sin. Hmm. God overlooks sin? Then why did Jesus go to the cross? Let that worldly philosophy leave your mind forever. Look at the cross of Christ. God does not overlook sin because Isaiah 53 says God crushed His Son because of your sin. He can't overlook it. It has to be dealt with. And and these are the pernicious lies. And God says, don't let anybody deceive you with these empty words. They're dangerous. So what's the truth? Well, there's a hint in one little word. One little word is so important in your Bible there. It's the word comes. That word comes is in the present tense in the Greek. In other words, it's present tense just means it's continuous action. And so God's wrath is not only received in the future, it comes in the present life now for all idolaters. Now, it may not feel that way sometimes, but it does. So how do we see God's wrath come now? Let me just give you a few ways. This is not politically correct what I'm going to say. (laughs) But AIDS is one way that God's wrath comes now to the idolaters. I know AIDS comes to people who are not idolaters. But on the whole, that, that's one way God does this. Sexually transmitted diseases is another way that God's wrath comes on idolaters. The, the emptiness in sinful pursuits, which leads so many to suicide, is all a part of God's wrath. Divorce. Right? People pursue their their sexual immorality, their lust, pornography, and, and all these sort of things, and, and, and divorce is rampant as it's just it's a it's a cause effect, isn't it? It's part of God's wrath. So heed the warnings, my friends. God says, heed the warnings. There's serious consequences here. But he ends in verse 7 by saying, we, we, we need to love God's warning. It, it's, it's something you should love because God's a good God and He cares about you. He gives you these warnings because He loves you. So love His warning. Verse 7 is a command. Do not become partners with idolaters. Now, what does that mean? Does that, does that mean you can't work for an unsaved person? Is that what God's saying? I, I can never work for an unsaved person. You have, to, you have to be your own boss. Is that what that means? Are you forbidden to have a business partnership with an unbeliever? Is that what that means? No. In fact, l- listen to what uh, a quote here from the ESV Study Bible again it says this, quote, Paul is not telling Christians to avoid all contact with non-believers, but to avoid joining with them in their sin, end quote. Don't become a partner in their sin. You can still work for an unbeliever. You can work for, you can be an employee of an unsafe person and not join in their sin. You might be tempted to do that. But you can still remain unique and separate and distinct, just as God is. So we're to imitate God because, chapter 4 says, we can imitate Him because we've been forgiven. And verse 1 in chapter 5 here says, We are His children, and therefore we should live that way and be what we already are. You say, man, that sounds impossible. I can't do that. Be what I already am? No, I can't do that. Well, yes, you can. (laughs) No, you can't do it on your own. But yes, you can do this. A godly life is possible if you are a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, for every Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within you. You have the third person of the Trinity within you, enabling you to do what God wants you to do. And that's why Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit, and then you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So may God enable you, by His grace, to do that. So here's the five continuous commands 
coming from this text. You say, how do I imitate my father? Well, here they are. So God says, starting off with imitating your father. But how do I do that? You walk in love. Christ is your example. You want to know what that looks like? Follow Christ. And then three, lust and covetousness should not be discussed amongst Christians. That's going to feed the impurity if you do that. And then number four, don't let anybody deceive you with the empty words. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Watch out. You're surrounded by the, this, this system of values and philosophies and beliefs. Don't let that press you into its mold. You've you got to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then last, do not become partners with idolaters. You, you don't want to participate in their sin. You've got to be unique, distinct, and separate. So my friends, this is the path to imitating God. Imitating your father in this situation is a good thing. In fact, the best thing for you. And this loving, good God knows what's best for you, and that's why he's told you to do this. And so we're to imitate God here because we are his children. You don't obey to bribe him, to try to get his blessing. He's already blessed you. (laughs) He's given you this wonderful status as a beloved child. So live like it, he's saying. And by the way, nothing will do anymore. Once you understand you are a beloved child of God, and, and as a result you're to imitate the Father, nothing else is going to satisfy you. You are God's child. The question is, will you imitate God? Will you imitate God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We're thankful that we have you as our Heavenly Father, and you've brought us out of the slave market of sin and out of the family of the devil into your family and made us a beloved child. You're changing our status and our even our very nature, and we're thankful for that. And we long for eternity when we live in glorious fellowship with you. But until that time, may we... May we starve the bad, feed the good. May we recognize what is evil, what is sinful, the things that you hate. May we love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our entire strength, and our whole being, so that uh, the, the things of this earth will dim and lose their value, and that our affections will be set on you and things above and not on this earth. And so may we truly desire to imitate you. And may we walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. May we understand what it means to be a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 tells us. May we live like the status is that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.